Ahoy, Joe Doyle here. As a former bricklayer turned property investor, I would not be where I am today if I didn't first learn the art of business. Nowadays, a big part of my life is helping other tradesmen grow their business and create wealth by sharing my knowledge, insights, and experience. Welcome to the Tradesman Survival Guide podcast. All of the strategies discussed in my podcast are taken directly from my book, The Tradesman Survival Guide, which is available at www.joedoyle.ie forward slash TSG. TSG, of course, being Tradesman Survival Guide. We just recently had a Zoom call with Pat Falvey, and I have to say it was absolutely out of this world. The problem is, numpty here. I didn't press record on the Zoom until a couple of minutes in. So we're going to just jump straight to the conversation now. We've probably missed about 10, 15 minutes of the conversation with myself and Pat, where Pat is just explaining that he had a real, he had, something went really bad for him in business and he actually felt like taking his own life and he went for a walk up to the mountains and uh, he climbed Caron Tuchel and on that day he had a vision he was going to climb Everest and the rest they say is history. He's been there a few times since. So uh, I do, I just want to put this little, clip of the video of, of me chatting there on front of the main video just explains you we were jumping in and uh, there's a couple of minutes say but i swear to god if you sit down put the feet up and relax you know watch this this goes on for about for over an hour yeah this will this will change your life but i came back to the base and I, I i made my foundation strong and then i built a team because very little like if you want to succeed as a one-to-one that's grand you know and and, and you'll make money and you, you, you everything will work out but if you have a bigger dream you're, and, and, and you think you could do it on your own, well, very few can do it. It's a matter yeah. of building a team, a team that believes in you because you're the driving force that fits your own business and you're the person that people will look up to because people need leaders. And, or you can be a self-leader, but you know, if that's the case, you start building from the foundation. So I built a team and I, I built, first and foremost, the foundation was learn all the skills. I joined Mountain Rescue. I learned rope work, I learned crevasse rescue, I learned how to climb. And now some people say that it was a suicide mission. That in other words, what was happening, I was so stressed <laughs> with the banks coming after me and bringing us to court and things like that. Now what I do is I'd go out and sometimes I'd leave work at six o'clock or five o'clock and go down to the hills and climb Karen too. And that's the reason why I love that. And I sleep on the summit and I come down like with, and I de-stress because a lot of it like, there. what? Yeah, sleep in the turn up there, yeah. Sleep and there. Then I, sleep there, yeah. Please. And then I come down in the morning and I drive back to Cork and I go to work. And, uh, and it's amazing like how it relaxed my mind. And like if, you're, if you have problems, right, the thing is to stop beating your head off the wall. Like you just have to step away from it so that you can look in. Because a lot of the time in perspective, when you're in distress, you can't see it like you you can't really identify who you are yourself so by getting away like i came up with suggestions like you know and that that would solve my business problems but what happened is i took a love to what i was doing and i and i held both in tandem until i was about 40 and then i i left the business side go and continued as a, a full-time mountaineer so like the mountaineering side of it then, like after I climbed Everest, because the one thing is when you have a goal, and I, I, I do talks all around the world, but when you have a goal and you reach it, whether it's actually to get to 500 quid a week or 500 quid a day, 1,000 a week or 2,000 a week, once you get there, it's, it's going to be what's next. Yeah. And you better be prepared for it. 
because when you have a watt snake, you can keep moving. And like people say to me now, like I've done 155 expeditions, my last film, 82 million people seen the film, and I'm a bricklayer. And that's, that, that's what amazes me, like, you know, because I, I lived in a council house, a six foot by six. I couldn't uh, read properly until I was 30. But it's, it's like, if it's a case you want something, like, you know, just, just go for it, like, and keep focused on it. And, yeah. and, and you'll get there, but you you get there with help, like, by the way, you know, and I know yeah. it's a very hard thing because like what we're trying to do, like, is condense a lot into tonight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask you a few specific questions, you know. So you, you had this life changing moment, you know, you went and you climbed to the mountain and then you said, right, I'm going into this. And how long did it take you before, like, how long does it take somebody to, to go from that to, to be good enough to climb Everest? Well, it took me about a five-year apprenticeship. Five years, right, yeah. Before I went on my first expedition. Like, I learned all the techniques, and then, like, we went to the Himalaya. Himalaya, it's, like, it's amazing, like. And uh, who said it there earlier that he was in the Himalaya? Alan, isn't that? Alan Kingsbury was in the base camp. Yeah, yeah. and, like, like it, I, I, do you know what I did, actually, like, which was amazing? <laughs> I went there to find myself. You know the way they say the Him like, Nepal-like is a place, yeah. like, where all the hippies used to actually... I had long, long, longer hair at the time. You know, with a small pot in Dubar Square. And uh, I would doubt anyway to think like, I, I'm no longer a capitalist, right? Okay. This is back uh, then. Yeah, because I, I was very ruthless. Like, there's no getting away from that fact. I probably wasn't even a nice fucker, you know? But, uh, but the thing with it is, when I went to the Himalayas, I went there to find myself after my, like, you know, but there was my suicide yeah, attempt. Yeah, Try to take my life. Then I started climbing and I started loving climbing. And then I started to interact with different cultures. When I got to Nepal, my idea really was I'd go out and I'd drop out into Dubar Square. And I oh, no, Dubar Square for someone who doesn't know about it. What is Dubar Square? Dubar Square is the place where all the hippies used to hang out like in the early 60s. And, and is that in Nepal? In Nepal, yeah. And it was right. actually like, like it was like Woodstock for all the world. But when I actually started going out to find myself, I, I, I got another set of mentors, which is Buddhist mentors. My philosophy is Buddhism. And it's a philosophy. It's not religious and it's not spiritual. Like it's spiritual, yes. But it's like, uh, it's like a philosophy where I learned a huge amount of shit about actually loving myself. Because if you can't love yourself and if you feel you're constantly under fucking stress, about thinking that you're not, like that you're not good. Yeah. Like it, it fries the head, you know? So anyway, when I was in Dubar Square, uh, I met these Buddhist monks. And, uh, you know, they put me on a new course of right. action. Because they said to me, like, who do you think you are? You were put on this world to be the best that you can be. And whether we're a plumber or a, uh, in football or no matter what we're doing, we were put on this earth to give it of our best and to be the best that we can be. Like, yeah, that's right, all, right. the best that we can be, the best father. My greatest ambition is to become the best grandfather that I can be now when people ask me what's next. So uh, they said to me, they said, like, you have, you, you have talent. And they said, if you actually do this, you're actually going against everything that the philosophy teaches us. So I said, what do you want me to do? They said, go back and actually make money. I said, what? Hold on a minute. So the monks, 
the monk sent you back to make money. Yeah, and then they said to me, which was very, very good. They said to me, like, you have a talent, and your talent is to actually be the best that you can be. So being here smoking pot in Dubar Square wasn't the best that I could be. So I can, right. with that, that's, this, this is now like, because there's a whole story intertwined with Everest. So what happened is I thought about it and I came back and I used my brain, you know, like, because I was like a Dell boy. And right. I, I built it back up. But what happened is said, don't use it to be capitalistic. Right. And I said, what do you mean? They said, use the money to do good. So we were after putting 64 kids through school. This in is the back park. then? Yeah, like, like from, from then to, to a period of 2008. Brilliant. And I just realized what a social capitalist is. Right, that's a social capitalist. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like all of you there, right, okay? Like you have all a certain standard that you want to get to, and you get to the standard. But then some... Some people get very greedy, and we, we know lots of greedy people, and they end up just hoarding money. But right. the, power they said, the power that I learned was that when you're doing well, and we're very good in Ireland at doing this, that you try to distribute it. So I found a great way in, in, in the hills of the Himalaya where we'd sponsor like a kid coming up, and we put him for five or six years through school in Kathmandu. $600 a year was, is, is what it was costing. Right. But one of the great stories that came out of that was that one of the students, uh, Kami, went on to university in Boston. Oh, and he got a job, and he was in IT in a big bank now in, uh, in Boston. And he sends back, he's, like he's on big money, but yeah. that young fella that wouldn't make $240 in a whole year if he was working in Nepal was now yeah. making $120,000. And every year he sends $40,000 back to the village. Brilliant. That's life-changing for the village, then. That, that, that's life-changing. So, like, I, I think what happened with me is that culturally-wise, right, okay, when I went broke, it's, it, 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 I was a bit fucked up. Yeah. And then I went to Himalayas to find myself. And then I found out I lost myself. And then I came back, like, as a different person and a way happier. Can I just ask you something there? So when you went to the Himalayas, did you climb Everest that time, or you just went to Nepal? Oh, I, went to, I went to the Himalayas first. I had an ambition to climb um, a mountain called Amadablam. But like, right. part of going to the Himalayas was to think that that's where people find themselves. Right. If anyone here is ever taught like that if they're stressed or if they're um, burned out or things like that, like you have this yearning like you know, either to cut out the society or to find yourself. And it's a very used cliche. Right. But in actual fact, to find yourself, you lose yourself. So my first trip to the Himalayas, by the way, because I said I was going to climb Everest, you know, when I was on Karn Tool, it brought me to the Himalayas, but it brought me on a journey first. So in the Himalayas, I went out and into the central Khumbu. This is uh, where the Sherpa is. And anyone that has been there know about, you know, the Sherpa people. They're the people from the east that came across from Tibet and they settled there. And like one time it was known as Shangri-La, you know, in the sense of mm. where, like someone said they were there, like up in Tangboja where the monastery is. And it looks like Shangri-La. Mm. And uh, I went in and I climbed this amazing mountain. I was climbing Amadablam. And it was six of us. And it was six rookies, like, that never did anything like this before. And uh, we were ridiculed on the Irish mountaineering scene, but we became the first ever team to succeed on an expedition mountain. But when yeah. I was on Amadablam, right, and this is where the journey is, 
I looked straight across at Everest mm-hmm. and I said, I'm fucking coming back to climb you. <laughs> Two, years later, Two years later, I was on Everest. Brilliant. And that time, 1993, I, uh, I was about a day and a half from the summit and I was, I was recruited like this. I still can't believe this. But we were recruited to do a project with NASA to, design, to measure the radiations on the rocks of Everest for one of my, a friend that I made, Carl Hines. Uh, he was an astronaut and he was designing the suit for the guy that was with us to jump out of the border of space. So here is this Nori, or like the north side of yeah. out on Everest on a NASA project <laughs> design a suit for a fella to jump out of the border of space. And I said to myself, how the fuck did I get here? And I never forget on that occasion, like I was out and there was uh, this guy here and he, I, I went into base camp and he was um, uh, a world uh, athlete, uh, call it, weightlifting champion. And when yes. I came on to base camp, this frail fellow from the north side of Cork City, a bricklayer that had a dream, <laughs> uh, he was doing one-hand press-ups. And I said, oh my fuck, like, like I, there's no way I'm going to match up here. Yeah. Two weeks later, the guy came off down the, down off the mountain crying. He couldn't take the stress. No way. Yeah. Haven't got it in here. I, I was laughing. I was saying to myself, and I, I was having no problems. Like, you know, but yeah. again, it goes to the fact you can look at somebody and you can say, I can't do what they can do, but you have no idea what they're going through or how their headspace is. Yes. If you have a good headspace, it's, it, 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 you know, you can literally do anything. Do anything. Yeah. That, that, that's basically what, what, what I actually try to teach, you know, like the people that I mentor or coach or yeah. do stuff like that. In other words, it's like, don't care what anybody else thinks. And, they, you know, we're all conditioned, by the way, you know, from the time we're born. When we're born, like, we're... Uh, we have no coding in us. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 what's going to happen from there on in that makes us who we are. And it's the conditioning that, that, that makes us that. And that means our mentors. It could be our mother yes. and father, our grandparents. My grandmother had a huge influence on me. She didn't want me to go to school. She just wanted me to sell. It might have, might have served you better. It did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love school. <laughs> Brilliant. So, can I just ask you just a few specifics, just about? I, I, I love details, right? So, the specifics of, you know, what do you need to do to climb Everest? So, let's just say we were going to leave today, right? Assuming we have the skill set, right? And I just want to say one thing. So, lads, if you're watching on Facebook, will you jump over onto the Zoom because we're chatting with Pat Fadley here? He's telling us all about his. Is ever a story? Um, click the link there in the description and, and pop over onto Zoom. So let's just say you know we were all, we were trained up and we knew what we needed to do. What is the logistics of it? Like, and is it you have to pay buy a permit to climb the summit? It's twenty four. Yeah, well, this is a big problem. Like the permit is about ten thousand dollars. Now, when I went there, like for instance, the two occasions, once I paid uh, fifteen thousand in total. Because I, I, I was trained professionally, like I, I, be, I, I was nearly as a professional climber. And the second time, because they fucked up on the first time, like my team, uh, it was only seven and a half thousand, believe it or not. Right. So, okay. but, but the, fir- the first thing is that you must have a self-belief. I'll give you an instance like that. Yeah. Here I was ready to go. And I always remember coming home to my dad and said, Dad, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> and he goes, Sonny, 
for fuck's sake, that's very dangerous. You could die. One of four was dying at the time. Yeah. And then people were saying to me, you're going to die. And I started kind of thinking to myself, I'm going to die. Yeah. So I was going to back out of it until I actually realized that tree lived. Yeah, that's fair point, yeah. <laughs> well, like, what I then did, like, and I, I did the same, like, in a lot of stuff I've done. I started questioning, like, how they lived, who the people that died, why did they die, how did they die, what areas did they die in, right? So yeah. once I was all trained up and I had the confidence that I could climb, I then was, they were bombarding me psychology, with psychology then, like, and the fact that they were telling me I was going to die and it was feeding into my subconscious. My subconscious was making me have the fear, the fear of yes. failure, the fear of ridicule, the fear of stuff, shit being thrown at me. So I had to actually sabotage my own subconscious to believe that I could do this. Right. And like, this is what's needed for most people. Like sometimes you have to sabotage your subconscious to believe and go for something you want. And uh, tell me a little bit about that sabotage your subconscious. So tell me how how do you do that and what what does that entail? Well, the first thing that it entails, like my 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 goal and my dream, like was to climb Everest, right? And my mother gave me a great verse. And again, it's about mentoring, but it's it, like it's about you have to want something bad enough to go for it. And if you don't want it that bad enough, your subconscious will actually, um, you know, because they're trying to, but your subconscious, by the way, is trying to protect you because they don't want to see you being ridiculed. Like, you know, it, like it's a very strange kind of setup. Like, you know, the whole mind. I, I've been doing a lot of stuff on the mind for many years. Like I've lived with 32 tribes as well. But we come to that. I, have, I, I want to ask you about that in a few minutes there because I, I have a list on that book. Go ahead, yeah. The, the big thing is like that, we're terrible at sabotaging ourselves. And it's our subconscious is doing it. Our conscious mind might say, like, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you fall asleep and then something starts pumping up, like you're going to die, you can't succeed, you're a like you failed before, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And then it takes, it takes a huge amount to start, you know, getting away from that. So like, I, I was being fed one of four is going to die. Yes. So then I started thinking, oh, fuck it, man, three lived. Three lives, yeah. So you had to put your own perspective on that to keep you yeah. pushing forward. I, I wanted to do it bad enough. I was going to sabotage the negativity. But my grandmother taught me that. And we're not going to go get into that tonight. Yeah. But then what happened is I started reading everything and realized, and this is the one thing that changed my attitude on this one. <laughs> my dad said, Pat, for fuck's sake, man, he says, why don't you take up golf? Right. And I got to want to take up golf, dad. He said, look, he said, mountaineering, he said, it's so dangerous, right? Okay, you're going to die if you keep going. Anyway, I picked up the Cork Examiner the following day. Frontline page was, golfer dies getting hit by golf ball. <laughs> I said, well, fuck my boots. <laughs> I'm not taking up golf. I know people do take up golf, but the thing with it is, for me at this stage, it was my, it convinced me like that, you know, that, that can do anything. Yeah. And therefore, but then on the same side of it, I owed a responsibility then to those that I was doing this because remember my responsibility when I was a business, I lost everything and nearly dragged everybody with me. Uh, I now realize that I had to train hard, become that apprentice, learn everything about, you know, so I bought all the books. I bought about a hundred books on Everest. I learned all the rope skills. I learned like, you know, not alone did I have a plan A, I had a plan B, I had a plan C, I had a plan F, if it's a case, like at the different stages. So yeah. 
I actually not alone learned the skills, I learned the psychology. And then I looked at Everest and I said, fuck it, man, that's like a big elephant. <laughs> so to get to the top of it, I said, like, I'm going to eat the elephant. And the only way that you eat the elephant then is taking it out bite by bite. So if you're yeah. goal, like, you know, like, it's no use. Like, if you have a big goal and you're looking at two years out what your goal is, well, then you break it down. And you can break it down to the week, the quarter, the, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so there's four campsites on Everest. Like, so there's a camp one base camp, camp one, two. Can, three, I, can I just ask you on that one, Pat? So take us... Take us step by step, all 52 step members, step by step, we're at Dublin Airport. Where do we go? Where do we go? And what's each benchmark that? Yeah, okay, yeah. well at Dublin Airport, like when you're climbing the likes of Everest, you have all your family out there and all your friends and they're all crying and like, you know what I mean? They know like the statistics and they know like that this could be the last time they see you. Yeah. You're also looking at them and you know this is the last time that you might see them as well. Yeah. And on one occasion, but we're not going to get a chance to get into it now, but one occasion I was actually uh, reported as missing, presumed dead. And all my oh, family were for about seven days, like, were for oh. And where were you? Anyway, the big thing with it is, so now, like, there's also this in your head, because you're looking at them, you're hugging them, you're kissing them, whether it's your son, like our two sons, yeah. and you're kissing them and you're saying goodbye. You also know that you may not be back yourself, but you, yeah. you, you have to now believe that, when you leave that airport, you wave them all goodbye. Subconsciously, you have to believe you can They're do that. Yeah. And where, where are you flying to? You fly into Kathmandu, which is at about 3,000 feet. And this oh, is an amazing place for anyone who wants to go. Like, it's my spiritual home. Right. And here, Kathmandu is the capital of Nepal, isn't it? The capital. It's the only Hindu kingdom in the world. Capital of Nepal. The Hindus and Buddhists, like, live in harmony. They have two amazing cultures. And... So, like, then I started learning about the culture. But, like, oh, here I am in Kathmandu. We go to Everest. Right. We're, shipping, yeah. we're shipping 25 tonne of stuff, right? You, I had to learn at that stage, like, you know, to eat 6,000 calories a day. Now, my right. Antarctic trip is 9,600 calories. Right. The Everest one is 6,000. So, you can imagine it's quite it's a lot, lot of food. Yeah. You have to train yourself to be able to eat that amount of food keep the energy because you're like a steam train like when you're carrying those bags at the time because we were setting out the ropes we were doing it all the traditional way and yeah. uh, so then you get to Kathmandu I'm, I'm taking notes here of the journey yeah Dublin to Kathmandu Kathmandu then Kathmandu bucket man this is amazing and Alan probably be able to tell you as well if he was there like you get on this flight it's the most dangerous flight on planet earth <laughs> And you fly to Lukla, which is at about 8,000 feet. What's it called? Lukla. L-U-K-L-A. And then what, you actually, it's a half an hour flight, but you fly in, it's into mountains, like I'm flying here, right? right? And then you're coming up against the mountain, and the plane turns, right? And then Everest and the whole Himalaya are in front of you that we're going. And then, like, the pilot kind of dips, and he actually flies down like this. And there's a runway below, which is called Lukla Airport, right? Right. Runway goes uphill. <laughs> so he comes down, hits the runway, and goes uphill. And at the top, <laughs> there's just a big cliff face, a solid rock wall, you know? Oh, <laughs> and it's, it, like it stops. But I've, I've done this. Is it a small plane? 
I've done this about 60, 70 times. And, you know, it is what it is. It's an adrenaline rush. You yeah. know, and the way, I, the way I look at it a lot of the time, look, you can get killed actually going out and step off the side of the, the curb and get hit with a bus. Yeah. So, yeah. and like I've I've had over two thousand people now, like into this airport and up through the Kumbu area. So where do we? So that's Lukla Airport. Is it a small, small plane? Small plane, a short plane fits about fifteen, eighteen people. Right. You've got all your baggage, you're all crushed inside in it, and it is. <laughs> it, I I I actually get. So excited when I hear about it because now you're going into the central Kumbu. This is where actually Shangri La would have been, you know, at one oh, So stage. it's from Lukla to Kumbu, yeah? Well, like you're in the Kumbu, at, like at this stage, you're in that general area, right? Okay, right, gotcha. Yeah. But then you spend the next uh, 10 days walking through this most amazing valley, valley up along the Dovkozi and then along the, the split between the Sunkozi and the Dovkozi. You're actually, you, you, you walk downhill initially, you see down like at the bottom below Lukla, and yeah. then you start going up again. So it's a 10 day walk. After Fakina is Namsha Bazaar, but on your way in, this is amazing, because you're following the river, but on either side, the mountains actually protrude to the sky. And you feel like you're in a heavenly place. And so, then you, like that's the first kind of feeling you get. But more than that, as, as in distinctive any other mountains, like I've climbed mountains all over the world, like in big Himalayan ranges and big, you know, like say the Caucasus. But the difference here is that it's a living community. All along the way are these little Sherpas, Sherpanis, the kids, like, you know, since Hillary set up a couple of schools, they're going to school, but there's no road. Right. It's just a, it's a track. And on that track, there's no motorized vehicle. It's just yak, donkey, and nax, right? Jeez. Which is like a breed. And What's that? Like, a nax? Nax, yeah, like, which is a breed between, a, a, like, you could say a cow and a, and a yak. A yak, and okay. Yak, yak, yak can't live below 12,000 feet. His heart will burst. Really? So they created this breed called uh, a, a nax, you know? Right, the hybrid. But like it's amazing now like, because you're going through this place and you know what it reminds you of Connemara in, the, in, in going back maybe a hundred years ago. Really? The fields and everything are all the stone fields. They're all etched out of the, the mountainside. The families only have about a hectare or a piece to maintain their family because they don't have cash. Well, they do now yeah. because Kumbu is very uh, commercial now. Right. Then you get to Namsha Bazaar. And this right. is let, me, let me write that down. So. After we get off the plane at Lukla, we're, we're 10 days walk. We're going to go for a 10 day walk into one of the most amazing landscape that the... Which is what you said there, that's that place, yeah? Yeah, but then you go to Namsha Bazaar. Namsha Bazaar. Yeah. What the best you could do? Go on. Download the fucking itinerary from my fucking website. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point, yeah. Because that's, I just like details, you know. I just like yeah, details. If anyone is interested, here, look. Here, here you are. There's a link in the chat here, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to do it there. Fucking I can't see. I'm, I'm going fucking blind. I have to put on my glasses. 
So Alan would have done that 10 day walk as well while he was doing the uh, the base camp, wouldn't he? Well, there we go, brilliant. Yeah, we've got it in there. Yeah, com. So we may as well continue on. We're after getting this far, but if you can add in the next week. So we're in Namship Bazaar. So then you spend, you spend two days there, but this is an amazing place because this is the trading post between Nepal and Tibet. And this is where that the, the Tibetan people crossed the Nangpala and some of them are killed by the Tibetans. Like I, I was on Chao as well and I seen them being bang shot trying to get across to get to their Dalai Lama. And, mm. like, and, and then put all along the way on top of this, there's all these beautiful monasteries. There's all these prayer flags. Om Mani Padi Hum, Om Mani Padi Hum. Like thousands of times they're fluttering in the wind and they're calling on spin wheels and they're all etched into the rocks. And it's a mantra that you're saying when you're going in there along these narrow kind of paths and places, right? Up, up against these gorges. And uh, so there's a whole spiritual aspect as well, as well as you're doing this, like the mountains are protruding through the, the, to the, to the sky, highest yeah. mountains in the world, sometimes covered in cloud. And then you go from Namsha across to Tengbosha, which is, you know, one of the highest in the world. And here, like, we usually go in and we, you know, say a few uh, prayers or mantras right, yeah. in the monastery. But here is also where I, I had a life-changing uh, experience in um, 1991 when I was climbing Ahmed Blom. I came out and I met this old guy coming in. And I said, fuck him, man, he's old. And I said, come here, what age are you? And he said, I'm, I, I'm 85. I said, fuck, man, that's amazing. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to base camp. He's climbing, yeah. Where did you come from? He said, he came from Scotland. Jeez. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'm retired. Uh, I, I was a coal miner. A coal said, miner? A coal miner. A small pension, right? So I said, fuck, man, I've got to talk to you. I was in my 30s at the time. And since then, I formed a forever young club. But I went into the tea house. And this is how people can influence you. And I was just mad to get his story because I could see myself as this 85-year-old Thompson the foothills of the Himalaya. Right, yeah, yeah. And then this group followed them in. Like, say we were a group here now, like, and we were the group. And uh, so this group came in and sat down. And this woman sat down alongside me, and her name was Jane. So I was fascinated. So Jane went away, and I said to John, as if I'm saying to you, Joe, hey, come here, who's your one? Yeah. And he said, that's my girlfriend. His girlfriend. Right. 85? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want you to think of it like just for a second, right? Okay. And you're all thinking different ages. I see, see you with the headphones there, like your name isn't up, but like, I can see a smart and like, you know, you're thinking like she's 23 or 24. Well, she's fucking not. So I see yeah. what age is she? She was 79 on her next birthday. <laughs> <laughs> He told me that for three months of every year that he, oh yeah, I said, how'd you meet her? And he said, I didn't take up hill walk until I was 65. Jeez. I retired as a coal miner. And he said, I, like, I met Jane when uh, I was 70 and she was 65 and she was a school teacher. So do you know what I mean? They're two ordinary jobs. Yeah. And then he, he said, for the last 15 years, she plans a trip for three months every year and they went to the Himalayas. And I said, what? Oh, really? Yeah. And I said, how'd you do this? And he said, like, it doesn't cost a lot to live out here. So yeah. she planned the trip and they rented their two houses. Oh, brilliant. That's paying for them to be there. Yeah, it's paying for them to be there. And it was cheaper. And then I says to him, I said, 
I started thinking then, I said, one sec, it's 10 days walk in and out, you know, or not a few days, so 19 yeah. days. And then I'm saying, well, one sec, like, this is, like, what, where, where are you now in your trip for three months? He said, this is the end. And I said, well, where were you? And he said, I was in, uh, I was in Tibet and I was in Mongolia. And, oh, really? and I said, like, when I got to 50, I set up a thing called the Forever Young Club, which is for 50 to 90-year-old adventures. So lads, if you're not 50, you have it's to wait. It's not applicable. We'll, we'll come back on that in a few years, you know. But yeah, can I, can I continue on? Can I talk to you just about the... And I had a lot of questions, but we put them aside because I want to hear this, right? So we flew and we walked for 10 days. We're seeing these beautiful places. And I just have these visions of, like, you know, like really sheer-faced mountains with small villages in the middle that haven't changed in hundreds of years, like. Well, it's changing. To, like, I, I, I became the first person in the world to climb Everest north side and south side. The two, two very different aspects to it, right? Right. Tibet is uh, it's a, a more remote. Uh, the, like, you know, when I went to 1991, like, like <laughs> uh, the was very remote. It's got more modern now. Right. But, like, the thing that always excites me is we're following in the footsteps of, you know, these amazing earlier explorers, like, uh, like Hillary and Tenzing, like Shipton and things like that. But as you're going, like the one thing that's noticeable is these, you know, cathedrals. And all I can call them, like I often say when I'm in the mountain, it's my cathedral, right? It's where I go to prayer. It's where I go right. to meditate. It's where I go to be grateful. I'm thinking like, amazing. But what's amazing is the fact that one time these mountains now that we're traversing over were one time at the bottom of the sea. And yeah. the top of Everest was at the bottom of the sea. And if I was, you know, like, I have a fossil, like, it's about this size. And I got it at 28,000 feet in the dead zone. And right. to think that that fossil was at the bottom of the sea. So, like, as you're going, and if it's a case, you know, the history and the energy and the power of nature. Like, when we talk about nature, like, at the moment, we can see it all coming back, like, with the core, with the body, we can hear the birds. You know, yes. like we're giving the world time to breathe again. And to think like I'm now walking in the foothill, like in the foothills of the Himalayas, we're at the bottom of the sea. And, yes. was a, and learning what I did about Buddhism, it becomes a very spiritual experience. And then when you get to base camp, and now you know, with all your yaks, like I'll give you an instance, we had... Uh, Before we get to base camp, Pat, yeah? How far, like, how, what, what does it involve to get to the base camp? Is that the two-day walk from Namsha Bashir, is it? No, well, it's about, like, what you do is you do, you spend two days there, one day in facting, then you go to... Uh, What's that, one day what, sorry? In facting, like, that's the base at the bottom of the base. Right, the base, okay. You're not going to get all of this, like, you're not going to be able to do the itinerary for 10 days, you can download it. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. But the thing with it is, you're, you're moving in, and, and, and the landscape is changing, it's become a more barren. Then as you're going into, like, as, as you're coming in, like, so you go from Namsha Bazaar, Tengbosha, Tengbosha, like that holy monastery, which is actually, like, where the, the Rinpoche, one of the Rinpoches, like, you're the second in command to the Dalai Lamas. Then, like, you're going from there up to Farisha or Dingbosha. Dingbosha is, like, a, a, an Irish settlement. Uh, and then you go settlement. to, uh, like, it's like an Irish, like, it's all these small um, stone uh, fields. Right, gotcha, yeah. And, and our main growth, like, is potato. Like, it's a right. stable diet, potato. But then, like, you, you move from there 
then up to Lobache, which is called the shithole of the of the planet Earth, right? Like the, 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 the tea houses there are not nice. Um, and then you go to Gorek Ship, and then you go to Base Camp. And right. that walking then like is, and you have to take it from a point of view of someone like me that have a passion for this, uh, about like the creation of this place. But what's amazing is that with the global warming and climate change, and I'm, I'm out there now like since 1991, fuck it man, it's changing. You see the difference, the yeah. Have, like the glaciers have fell 200 feet. While I was in the yeah. Antarctica, there was, there's the sizes of whole countries, the size of monsters just calving off. Massive, massive uh, global warming, climate change. Greenland, like I've crossed Greenland. Like the... the like, are you concerned for climate change? You, what? Having seen as much of the world as you've seen, are you concerned for it? I am, of course, but like the way I look at that is we, we, we better not overstress it, like, because we have to live in this world, right? What are yeah. people going to do? Like, like, are people going to stop buying fridges, like turning off lights, you know, using internet, stop flying, right? The simple fact about it, and I've lived, as I said, with 32 tribes as well. When we, when we were going back in time, right, okay, this is us, we came out of the water and yeah. we actually were like this. <laughs> and then we went, ah, ah, ah. And now here we are, like, on the technology. So yeah. we've been constantly evolving and changing. And I don't care what anyone says, like, you know, that I'm hugely concerned about global warming, climate change. But, like, people aren't going to stop. We can see at the moment, just the first time, like, that people stop, like, you know, all the flights are closed down and things like that. But, like, the minute it's finished, they'll all be back again. You'll all have your cars. You'll all be putting diesel in it. You'll all be going flying to Spain and France and down to the Himalayas. And it'll open your minds, like, to... To, to the beauty that and, and, and the cultures that are around the place. So we're not going to stop. Yeah. So I often think like that, you know, if we're not going to stop, we have to adapt to change. And like, that's a big thing I believe in. You know, we, we can go forward more, but we're talking about global warming at the moment. There's only a billion people like us that have the wealth that we have, right? Mm. And the rest of the world, we can't stop them like from actually wanting what we have. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, the big thing that you could do with the world to stop global warming and climate change is stop the population increasing. Stop having babies. Like, when I, w when I was actually a child, the population was 2.5 billion. Yeah. Now we have 7.5 billion. And by the time, in 20 years, hopefully, before I die, <laughs> we'll have 15 billion, right? Yeah. And what are we going to do? Starve the whole fucking lot of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. On a, if we give them all one light bulb, we'd be as, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas that's all they have. We do have to actually, you know, be concerned about the planet and we do have to get our carbon emissions down. But we're still going to put equivalent to when I was born on every 10 years onto, yes. onto the population. More pressure, yeah. yeah. Look, we, we won't solve that here, right? So oh. we get to base camp. Let, let me ask you, because I want to know, we get the base camp, how long does it take to get to, to what's the next stage after the base camp? How long does it take to, to climb? And like, is it, is it a very popular point? And then, right, anybody, any further than here, you're in the summit and you have to have your permits and all. Is that the way it works, is it? Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, you do, yeah. And like, basically, they're very strict on it. And you have to have that $10,000 paid 
But then you're going through this amazing place called the popcorn field, like you go to Camp One. It's the Cumber Rise Fall. Or on the other side, then, it's a, it's a way different. But I've done two sides, but we're only going to concentrate on one. Yeah, and you go through this place, and it moves three meters a day. So, like, if I have a ladder going from here to and there. It moves three meters a day. Yeah. You, do you want me to show you some of the stuff? Yeah, I can yeah. Go for it. Over your screen. Do you want me to go in? Yeah, show, show some photos. Let's see. Okay, how I'm going to ask you to share share the screen. One second, I have to put on my glass again. Yeah. Host, disable the 10 screen sharing. So you have to allow me to, uh, to screen yeah. share if you want to see this. So I think you uh, you press it here. Multiple participants can share. Now only one advanced sharing options. Okay, all participants. Right. Um, okay, that should do you now, Pat. Okay, can you see me? Well, I'm just going to bring up a couple of slides there, and I think yes. it will actually feel better uh, about it. Now, if anyone, that's a dead body, by the way, you're looking at there. I'm going to actually try to see if I can. Tell us about that guy. He's that called Green, this guy, he's called Green Boots. That's just actually, uh, can you see it now? Yes. Okay, well, Green Boots, like he was actually just about 100 meters from the summit, and he was dying. And people passed them on the ropes and just left them there dying because their goal was to get to the summit. And again, like it would take me a lot more because there's a huge psychology involved there, right? But let, let me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back first. I'm going to just show you, you know, like people say to me, what's ah, the greatest Jesus. <laughs> in relation to the likes of that? Are they okay to see this? Yeah, yeah, of course. Listen, this is the truth of it, you know. Okay, this is one of the things that can happen. Like, by the way, the, one, the, the guy with his fingers cut off was a friend of mine like who actually uh, was with exhaustion, put his hands on the ice, fell asleep. And this oh. was in the Antarctic, but the other ones were on Everest. Oh. Right? And just to show you, like these are just, uh, like that's pulmonary edema. That's actually like the risks that's involved as well. So you have to deal with all of those risks. Like this yes. is where like, that pulmonary edema and cerebral edema, because you're in the death zone, actually reacts that you can get uh, uh, altitude sickness and this is and where are, are, are nearly pulled out you're flooding in your lungs your brain is swelling like this is not a danger here you're looking at the jet streams in here like on my last attempt on Everest uh, there was 15 reached the summit this is on the earlier days and only 11 came back so 4 died on, this, on the descent on that day that you're looking at that slide you, you were there you were on that trip yeah yeah uh, now, it wasn't uh, my team, but there was uh, three Koreans and a Bolivian-American. Like, and, and this is where the psychology comes in, that you have to be prepared. Getting to the summit is not what it's all about. And, and if you look at getting to the summit, even anyone here listening in a business, and I made this freaking ultimate mistake, I became a multimillionaire. I didn't actually think about the fact of holding on to what I have and I kept on expanding and I overtraded and I lost everything. So I learned that about climbing, like don't, the summit isn't the summit, right? Then you have, uh, you know, like the, the success is about having a team working together. I'm just right. going to go in actually to just show you because... Uh, can, I, can I ask you there, Pat, did you, you know, maybe this is not the right, did, did you ever lose anyone on, on your team? Uh, no, none of my team. Like, well, uh, Carl Hines died, that American astronaut. 
Wait, hi, hi, Dad. My dad is just after walking into the room there. So. Tell, him, tell him I said happy birthday. Dad, Joe said happy birthday. He's 86. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Happy, so, happy anyway, birthday, Mr. Fabi. The whole thing with this is that, like, people say to me, and you're asking me how do you climb Everest. By the way, if you look there, if you can see it, I'm just going to increase the slide. Yes. You can see base camp. Yes. Can you see it? Yeah, down the bottom there, yeah. People think you go from the top to the bottom, like, and that's it. It's not. You go 12 times to camp one, stocking out food. Seven times to camp two, three to camp three, then to camp four, and you're prepared and you go to the summit. And then you have to realize that the summit isn't where it is because you're now in the death zone. And amazing, like, you have to come down, like, to camp four, camp three, camp two, camp one, back to base camp. And you're not, you haven't actually succeeded until you get back down there. Yes. Now, 50 climbers that I have climbed with, like, have did make a mistakes of not getting down from the summit. 50 climbers have died? 50, I have 50, 50 of my colleagues who have died in the big mountains, right? But, like, the thing with that is, this is actually at the severe end of stuff. But, yeah. like, you can see here, like, you know, I won't go through all of this, but... That's Carl, he died on, on a nice grave. We were doing a project measuring the radiations of the rocks for Carl, for uh, um, Nothing. For, yeah. And Nish Bruce was a friend of mine who was gonna jump out of the border of space. But Carl the astronaut died and we had to bury him out there. His family couldn't even get him back. That was in 2003. Can we're I talk to you about that? He, he died on that expedition, didn't he? Yeah. He got, he actually, you can see like he was about 50, about 62 at the time, my age now, like, and uh, he actually, his, his heart gave up. And uh, so we had to bury him just as we were going to the summit. Now, can I, can I just, so he was, you were on this group, there was you and many people there, and that, that man died on that expedition. Yeah, he died, he died at advanced base camp. So he wasn't even a danger, like it was, it's the altitude that got him. But like that was traumatic for me because as you can see there, that's 93. That was my first expedition. And I was one day about going to the summit and I came down to try to get him out of it. So I lost my summit attempt on that occasion. But that was so yeah. traumatic, you wouldn't believe it. Because now we had our first death, my first death on a mountain. Yeah. And it happened to be one of my climbing colleagues. So I learned a lot then from that. And that made me know that I was very vulnerable myself. So I had to make sure I learned everything. But you could see then like, you know, back in 95, uh, this is the summit in, uh, or sorry, in 93. This is the summit in 93, where three of us hit the summit. This guy on the left, uh, Australian, became the youngest person. He, he, he became my partner. And this, he said to me, you've got experience and I have the use. And he was only 21 at the time, and he got to the summit. Would you credit it? He's now 50, something like that. And this year he came back to me, and I've just mentored him. He's just after coming back from Antarctica. He's finishing the seven summits. He's just walked to the South Pole. He's, he was supposed to head to the North Pole. He's already now after finishing the seven summits. And our really? next project is to go to space. Space? Yeah. Now Jeez. he's only... He was just a student at the time, right, okay? And he was sponsored by his country. So, but then, like, I'm, I'm going to... 
sorry about this now, like because I'd end up giving the whole fucking lecture. No, listen, I, we're we're all uh, we're we're all happy to hear this. This is this is intriguing, you know. Are we are we happy to listen to Pat talk about Everest a bit more? Are you okay for time, Pat? Yeah, I'm grown for time. Yeah, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you call the shots on on the time there. So you, you did promise you'd give us an hour. You've given us more than that. So you know, I, I'd listen to this all night. You know. Yeah, but anyway, look, I I just gonna take you through like by the time you get to this part here, like where I'm in my tent, right? That's my tent. The winds are coming in at about like we've we've weathered avalanche, rockfall. Uh, we've we literally like you know down in oxygen <sighs> we're breathing like this and that's actually our tent tied in in fear that the that it would be blown off the mountain so we're inside mm. that tent we try to hold it up as the winds come down and we're trying to figure out like will we go to the summit or not we're at yeah. twenty six thousand feet in the death zone this is in the in in the tent and like we're protected only by a tin skin a man-made material which is you no know, thicker than your sheet this yeah. is clear and you could see like all the Holy Spirit, and the, like our parents are praying for us to know we're in the death zone. They're more worried about us than us. We're like at war. We're ready to go. Like we're ready to take this on. Then like, you know, oh, then you could see here, this is not too far from our tent. This is, by the way, a body on Everest. You could see that was actually sitting there sliced in half. He was like a pillar of salt for a while. And then the, the wind came and just, because he was Slam. so, stopped him. And like we have to deal with all that psychology. Yeah, I've learned, that. yeah. Then we have to look at the fact if our family at home, like that's Claire's father, by the way, because she is, you know, she is, a, we're human. Like we are, yeah. we have our families. My two sons, my mom and dad, that, you know, he's 86 now. Uh, that's there. And we know they're all worried about us. So we know that if we die like that, this will put them in total shock. And then yeah. we're ready to go. Like, uh, and we're in a godforsaken place, as you can see. And it is, I've been there four times. And then, like the unsung heroes, because in every team, and again, it's the same as your teams there, like, you know, you have to be very grateful for the unsung heroes. Our unsung heroes are the Sherpa. And this is Pemba Gelging, who, by the way, became National Geographic Hero of the Year from, you know, the film I shot in, um, on K2. What's the name of the film again, Pat? It's called The Summit. The Summit. I have a book, I have a book on The Summit, too. I'll show you in a minute, actually. I fucking can't believe I'm saying this. But, you know, I think of living in that six-by-six six box room overlooking Cork City and yeah. a council estate of 5,000 council houses. And, like, when I'm talking to you like this, I can't believe this is like a dream. And the only reason why I know it's not a dream is I'm showing you the slides. This <laughs> comes up, up to me, like, you know, when I think of some of the stuff, like, that we've done, but that's Pemba. Were, were you ever scared, Pat? I'm scared shitless all the time. If you're not oh, scared, oh, if you don't look, it's the same in business. If you don't have a, if you don't have a fear of going broke, right? If you don't have a fear of making a mistake, like you're going to fucking make that mistake. Definitely, yeah. So there's fear and there's respect to fear, and there's actually how to tackle fear. Right. So are you, are you all in a constant state of being on edge, watching out, hyper-vigilant at all times? I wouldn't say on edge. Like we, like I, you have to be confident as well. You have to believe. So you have to ensure, like, you know, you could see, like, that when it's down to minus 60, we must make sure, like, and we know it could go to minus 60. Like, it's minus 35 there, which is cold. But I've been at minus 60, like, in the Antarctic. 
like where I spent 70 days without, yeah, without ever coming out below minus 20. Your deep freeze is minus 18. And I've been never coming below minus 20 and at times up to minus 60, burning 9,600 calories a day. But this is Everest. And then, like you can see now, like we're ready to go to the summit. So when you leave your tent and you're in the dead zone, no one is going to say, you know, are going to give out to you for coming down. Yeah. You all think you're mad for going up. Yeah, you yeah. You can go up once you fucking exit that tent. So here we are now, like, you know, and we're going on to the south-southeast face. And this, I bring you to the top part because I could keep going forever before I get there. But there, like Scott Fisher, he's a friend of mine, and he's lying there dead since 1996. So we stop, we bless ourselves, we say a prayer. That's actually clear just in front of me now at this stage. Right. And uh, Scott is lying there dead, so we stop and we bless ourselves. And I say to Claire, look, she looks at Scott and I look at her and I say up or down and she points up. Right. She, we now know that getting to the summit is not what it's about because it's far harder like, you know, like if you just have the summit as your goal to get back down. So we continue. Yes. And here we can see like a shot on the ridge line coming up on the south southeast face. And what's so amazing about this, all of the foothills, the high mountains, these are all huge mountains below us, are now protruding through puff clouds. And we're up into what was once the bottom of the sea. And here we are on the Hillary Step. And I nearly oh, died there. Hillary Step? Hillary Step is a very famous step on Everest that Hillary actually had to try. It's the crux of the mountain on that side. And it's like, I nearly died there in 2003 myself. And I came back when I was only one hour from the summit. And like I often use that analogy that if things are going bad for you, sometimes there is a time to stop in business too. And I didn't. And I lost my business. And I lost my health and my mental health when I didn't. So I knew that I was an hour from the summit and I turned here and went back in 2003, knowing that I'd come back and we did, and here we are now in 2004, going for the summit. And here we can see, like if you look at the far out reaches here, these are all the contortions from the seabed. You can see all the, the, the lay downs of the, 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 the sands from below us. And then we got to the summit and then, Brilliant. That's actually on the summit. And then I took a size of a snooker table. I took out my camera and I turned on that table and that's looking north, south, east and west. And then here Claire was, Claire became the first, one of my targets was to have the first Irish female reach the summit. Claire actually has done 22 expeditions with me. She came to Karen Tool in 2002 and here she is on top of the world in 2004. And she went on to be the, Second woman only in the world to do the seven summits and Everest. And mm. then, but that's like what is at the top. And you know, I did something very special then, like, but we have to remember, like, these people, they're there now. Chumalongma means is Mount Everest, goddess mother of the earth. They're there now with their goddess. But then I did mm. something very special on the top, right? Cool. Um, I brought Freddie T. Bear, like, there's a whole story. I'm not going to go into it, but a quarter yeah. of a minute to follow that little bear. <laughs> he helped me come back from the Hillary step, and all the kids were going mad like that. So he, he failed. But fucking Freddie knew he didn't fail. He Freddie learned he, he went back. And here he is now sharing the top of the world. 
and, and he went on to do the seven summits afterwards. But you know, <laughs> I did something very special as a Cork person. Do you know what we're famous for in Cork? Sport. Yeah, okay, right, go on. What's the sport? Gaelic hurling, hurling, yeah. Hurling, yeah. So right. I did something very special. Right, now, even, though, even though four people were to die after this, right? There's only 15 on the summit, right? Right. Watch yeah. this. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, so there we were. That's the top of the world for you, right? Brilliant. But you so know what 15, 15 of you guys were up there on that one one day, yeah? Yeah, like my team was just me and Claire and a few of my friend Sherpas, like, you know? Right. But, you know, like four people were to die on that summit attempt that day. And uh, but when we were on the way down, you know, like it's amazing feeling like, you know, like if I had to give it to you there, like it even sends the shiver up through my spine. But, you know, when we were on the way down, Claire said, what's next? What's next, yeah. And that's the thing in business or anything like, and I keep on saying what's next. But believe it or not, within one year, I said, how about the seventh summit? Claire became the 15th woman in the world only. And I became the first person in the world, and still I think the only person to do Everest North and South. And this is on Antarctica. And you know what happened next? She said, what's next? Oh, and she finished it. <laughs> Brilliant. And then we would, this is in the, just to show you like, you know, Jesus, the Antarctic. This is just like 60 days, like, you know, and that's just her putting up her mask. And it's like liquid nitrogen. And then, when we were on top of the mountain there, she said, what's next? Then we went across South Georgia. I recruited then. I thought this was amazing. And I proved that if people want to do something, they can do anything. And I trained the biggest group ever across South Georgia that Shackleton and Crean did. Really? Proving the fact that if you're part of a good team, and like, I don't care what it's in, like whether you're in building, whether you're in sales, if you're a good salesperson and you can sell, if you get the talents, you can move your talent anywhere. You shouldn't all the time be stuck. If, you, if you're good at what you do, you can do anything. Then I crossed Greenland, 660 kilometers. Never skied uh, the year, till the year before it. <laughs> then I went from there. We recruited three people to go to the South Pole. Trained up 6,900. Then went down to the South Pole. Walked to the South Pole. 60 days. Got to the South Pole. And you could see like it wasn't a straight line. Ended up passing Shackleton and ended up at the South Pole. Brilliant. It's an amazing place. This pole you're looking at there is the sink, like it's the pivot of the world. That's, All the that's it. Goes through that. All the meridians. So when I walk around that pole I become a time traveler. And I stood at the South Pole and I stood at the North Pole, the two pivots. That's it for us reaching the South Pole. 60 days, according to 9,600 calories. Everybody is absolutely amazing. Jeez. That's what it feels. It's beyond words. Incredible, this is absolutely fantastic. You know, there was times I didn't think we would. And we have done it. And we're
our heroes. I think it's absolutely fantastic that the first Irish female, Dr. Claire O'Leary. First then Irish I'll team. move on from that because of the fact. But you yeah. know, when we did this, and this is about the tribe, right? When we right. did this, we did it together. And there's a great story that I tell about Special Olympics, right? And my mother taught me this about teamwork and about tribalism. That, and you're a tribe there, that there was eight Special Olympians trained four years to win gold, silver, and bronze. And they were at the starting line. The gun went off, but the last little girl fell flat on her face. And this is what's going to happen with us now, like, so just, 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 tell us, just tell us that again. So the, this is a Special Olympic race? Yep. Okay. The, the participants had trained for four years to get there. Yeah. So you can imagine they were all focused on winning. Winning, yeah. Right? And even though they were Special Olympians, they taught us a great lesson on this one, right? So what happened is they're at the starting line and they're all going for gold, silver and bronze. And the gun goes off. But as the gun goes off and they all take off the starting blocks, one girl fell, flat on her face, straight from the skull. Really? And the whole auditorium went, oh, my God. You can imagine if it's one of E there, right, okay? Yeah. And everyone said, oh, my fuck. Like, it's a fucking disaster. What happened is, in a megasecond, the second last little girl stopped. The second last girl stopped. Like one of the girls stopped, right? To, to help the girl that fell, was it? And she walked back to pick her up. Right. And the whole auditorium were in shock. But when mega seconds, the other six stopped as well. And they all went back. And they linked hands and they came across the winning line together. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so you all got gold. They all got a gold medal. <laughs> brilliant. Right? And this is what part of the tribe is being lost, because this is what we've lost, the Celtic Tiger, every fucking thing else, right? We've lost that ability to pull together to come across the winning line. So here we are in one of the hardest thing known to man, and yes. we had 34 people cross South Georgia, and here was a team, like the three people you're looking at there with me, had never done anything like this a few years earlier, but because they believed in themselves and they believed in the, the, the thing, they crossed yeah. that winning line. And that's oh, what it's really? about, going in the same direction. And the other thing is, can you, can you hear the video on, the, on that side? Can everybody hear it, yeah? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, but communication. And this is a, a little example I have on communication, if you get it wrong. Right, yeah. go for it. Das hier ist in meinem Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät, das überlegt uns. Das ist, wo Kommunikation geht. Du hörst das? Mayday, Mayday. Hallo, kannst du uns hören? Kannst du uns hören? Kannst du uns hören? Wir sind sinken. Wir sind sinken. Hallo? Das ist der Kurs. What are you thinking about? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right? So that's yeah. where communication goes wrong. Two of my friends are dead because they said they were coming down and they was interpreted to take the tents down and they came down, there was no tents and they died. Communication. Oh, that's fuck. So like, you know, success doesn't happen by accident, right? It's about high performance planning. It's about success is all in the mindset. 
And this is why I put the monks, right, okay? It's just about going for it. But I just actually, uh, I just, but anyway, look, this is just something for you. And this is the way that I work in my businesses and everything else. Is to have a goal. Yeah. You see that? To, have the, to build a foundation. In other words, you're out there. It's a way up there. Yeah. But that's where you're fucking starting, like. Yeah. You're starting down at the foundation. And when, you, when you're all in business, like, it's to have a plan. And this is what mentoring and coaching is all about. Then, like, what you have to have is a strategy. But when you have the strategy and the plan, what you must put together is a team. Yes. Then when you have a team, and that this is whether it's you allow vulnerability because you know I'm not going to agree with you all the time. Like, but if you're an asshole, like you just keep putting me down. Like if you're like if you're a Trump or a Boris Johnson, right? Yeah. You know what I mean. And then like what? But but if you allow the vulnerability and you listen, because most people don't listen. Like you you allow the trust, but then like as as a business person, you have to allow the conflict within like because people will think differently constructive input but then if you do that you get the commitment by your team buy-in then you uh, like what will happen is people allow vulnerability but this is where like i built massive organizations you allow people to have self-leadership because we try to control too much and that's it that's just actually this is actually my grandson right and he like i wrote this i wrote the book uh, you have the power. Uh, but just listen to this. And I want you to think about what you want. And if you have what he's got, like he's nearly died three times already. Um, what are we? Explorers! Who's explorers? <laughs> yeah. And who else? I wonder. Yeah. And show me your explorer hat. <laughs> and what have you got? Show the people what you've got. A rucksack. And what else have you got? Look here. Uh-huh. Look. Look, what's this? What's this? Some the power. What has Jack got? The power. <laughs> so it's all about mentoring, right? And basically everybody there has the power, right? And he's just had his leg amputated, by the way, in November. And Jack has. Yeah. But he, has, he was being bullied. So I wrote this last book for him. It's You Have the Power. Um, yeah. I don't know what happened there. Ah, but anyway, the thing with, like, that's my mom and dad, and they taught, like, that's, it's about mentoring, and every one of you are mentors, right? This is about success and failure. I'm not going to go through it now, but as I say, look, my dad has taught me to fight. Fight for your fucking life, son. <laughs> and when you're down, he says, come out, he says, fucking fighting. Um, like, these are people I mentor, like, uh, Joanne Railden, like she, I got like I was in our first fundraising together, arms and legs when she was only a baby, but she's gone on to do phenomenal things. She's an inspiration, by the way. And you know, it's about people. And by the way, this is what it's all for. This is my family. This is uh, my mother and my father, my siblings, my ex-wife, our kids, my grandchildren, my grandfather, my my father's great grandchildren and grandchildren. So that's what life is about. And these are the three last books I've written. I've written seven books, even though I was literally till I was 30. All bestsellers. The summer went on to do, uh, as I say, become uh, an international um, movie. Movie. Uh, you have the power is 
I've been working like uh, with the likes of Deepak Chopra. That's forwarded by Dr. John D. Martini, by the way. I work with him on leadership program. And the other one is the accidental rebels, because I believe like most people here tonight are rebels. And like we have to be rebels. So that's just, uh, anyway, I, I won't go into the Forever Young Club or anything like that, because hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again sometimes. You can do it again, another fun. Pat, before we, before we let you go, can I, uh, can I just give the lads the opportunity to just ask you a couple of questions there? You can do yeah, one sec now. I'm going to stop sh screen sharing. And see Brilliant. So if anybody has any questions there, just belt them in the comments, either a few people watching on the Facebook here or if you're on the Zoom, and uh, we'll, we'll get to them as quick as we can. Before By the we, way, uh, I, I, I guess... I just put up there, the, if, there's a great mindset uh, video I just cut the other day. I am a mountain, right? Yes. Uh, that above, if you want to go in to see it. There's also the, the, the links to the Accidental Rebel and you have the power. And that's the website. Any questions? Brilliant. Brilliant, yeah. So we've got no questions here. That's good. So let me, can I ask you a question? Can I take liberties and be the first one to ask questions? Yeah. What's next? Well, my what's next is, uh, okay, the first what's next is uh, to be the best grandfather that I can be because remember to do all of these things, I paid huge sacrifices in sacrificing my own family. Uh, yes. And uh, what happened was, and I, I would have asked everyone to kind of take this into consideration. Yes, you know, my son said, Dad, we're very proud of you, but he says, you know what you missed? And I said, what? He said, you missed parent-teacher meetings, you missed uh, a lot of, I've, I've missed two graduations. And he said, even though we're very proud of you, now that you're getting older, he says, can you trot back? Because I was very driven. Right. Uh, but there's a great verse, if anyone, and you might, some of you, you definitely would be able to identify with this, uh, Joe, because I think you, you have that mentality. And it's about people have dreams, goals, and aspirations, but be careful for what you wish for, because you might get it, right? Uh, and it is, there's a, this is Robert Service, and I'll, I'll explain this in a minute. There's a breed of men that don't fit in, a breed that can't keep still. So they break the heart of kit and kin, and they roam the world at will. They range the field, and they rove the flood, and they climb the mountain's crest. For theirs is the curse of the gypsy's blood, for they don't know when to rest. Right? <laughs> but the inverse of that like, was when I was in my 50s, and I know a lot of you are a lot younger. When I got to my 50s, if I kept going being as ruthless as I was and as driven as I was and didn't have the legacy issues that I would actually see like that life is about legacy and legacy is about family, I'd have ended up like this in the Robert Service poem. And there's two great pieces in between, right? He has failed, he has failed, he has missed his chance. He has only done things by half. Now life's been a jolly good joke and I mean, now it's time to laugh. Ha-ha! He has won and the legions lost. He was never meant to win. He's a rolling stone and bred in the bone of the man that didn't fit in. So I decided to fit in. Right. right? Mom and dad, my dad is just sitting across from me here uh, listening. Uh, he's going to bed soon. So therefore, um, like I'm up here at the moment, like caring for, for two days. And uh, he's learned me, him and mom and my grandmother learned me everything I know. Right. Uh, he was a bricklayer as well. Um, right. He's an amazing person, but has taught me about fighting, about always to be the rebel, never let anyone put you down, have the self-confidence, believe in yourself, 
you know, have gratitude for what you do have and uh, try to protect your mental health as well because, yes. uh, like, it's what's counting. Yeah, so, for sure. Anyway, that's Robert Service, by the way. So, that's, what's that's, that? tell me that guy's name there, Robert. Robert Service. S-E-R-V-E-R-U-S. R-O-B-E-R-T. S-E-R-V-E-R-T-I-C-E. The men that don't fit in. Now, there's two other verses in that that you're going to love. But also, by the way, just not to do myself, it's also on my book, You Have the Power. So, like, right. if, uh, if we're getting a book, we get your book. <laughs> I'm a salesman too, by the way, but like, it doesn't matter. I make fuck all from books. You have, you have to, uh, you have, yeah, of course, you're, you're, you're here to serve, you know. Um, Pat, that was amazing. Like, I have to say, it's great to listen to somebody who's, you know, been around a lot longer than me and just hear the stuff. And if I, what I can take from that is like, yeah, just keep going, always have a what next. You know, because the unfortunate yeah. thing is, once we get beyond this corona, there's going to be some other challenge and some other challenge, you know. So uh, we keep going. Um, I'm not too sure who it is, uh, but his his uh, his phone is Fahed. So Fahed said he could listen to you all night. Um, the proud Irish ambassador, amazing, brilliant, you know. Um, the men that don't fit in, and I think you've destroyed pretty much everybody in here, you know. Um, can, can I just give you another one that I got from my parents, right? Yes. And like, you know, I see a lot of you there. We could be going through very tough times now, right? Yes. Okay. And a lot of us will be under stress. Like in other words, all my income has stopped. Like I, like 20 trips I've had going abroad, right? Okay. have stopped. I have no income now. Right. right. So I could be fearful about it, but like, I want to accept the fact that my mental health is more important. Right. Okay. And you know, Things will come back. But yes. the big thing is not the quiz, right? And I'm going to give a verse that when I try to take my life through suicide all those years back, and remember, I'd never have actually got to this point if I allowed it to actually affect my mental health. So, like, there's a DNA, like, that we train people in about how to not be overstressed and to, uh, 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 and, uh, and to get the perspective right. But here's one for you, right? And you've all been here, and I've been here, right? When times go tough, as they sometimes will, and the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when funds are low and debts are high, it's then you must not quit. Because success is failure turned inside out with a silver tint of cloud of doubt. You can never tell how close you are. It may seem far, but be so near. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit, because it's when times go tough that we must not quit. Right? And if you adopt that and come out fighting, right, okay, when you're my age, because I, I don't see many of you there, like, you know, I don't know, is there anyone there my age? But the thing with it is, I would not have, if I stopped fighting, I would not be where I am today. I would have not had the experiences. I would not have had my grandchildren. I would not have had all the experiences I've had if it's a case I allowed it to affect my mental health. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. by the way, I think I might have put it in there. There's a meditation piece in there. It's very good. It's called I Am a Mountain. And I know each and one of you are a mountain. It's just one I did the other day for the university. And yes. 
just go in and listen to it. If you know nothing about meditation and, and, and keep posted to my, um, you know, to my blogs and things like that. Well, yeah, um, what, I, what I'll do, I'll get you to send me all the relevant links and I'll post them in the group. Or just post them in the group yourself, sure, you know, because, uh, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're, it's, it's a pleasure, it's an honour to have you as part of our 52 steps. So we're, we're, we're happy, we're happy to have you. The, the last verse you gave us there, just sound quick, where did that come from? Which? When you said there a minute ago, just sound quick. Success is fine, or time. Oh, sorry. There's a no. There's nobody uh, have got it. It's out there. Just put in "Don't quit." First, oh, yeah. don't. Quit. Right. Oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's it's in my book. You have the power. Not that I'm asking you to buy it. It's also on uh, ebook and audio as well. But like the whole thing with this is, it's about mentoring. It's about actually legacy. It's about helping. Look, for me to be here tonight, I'm. If I was talking to you, I'd be excited about this. This technology has allowed us all to speak together, right? And I haven't spoke to any of you, but I know like at some stage, I will meet a lot of you again somewhere. And yes. if, if I can help, like I'm sitting here like on lockdown, and it's like, what the fuck else would I be doing? <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. Amazing. Huh, that was absolutely, honestly, like, you know, people say, that was legendary. I am so grateful for the opportunity to listen to you speak here. Like, particularly that you came and spoke to my tribe, my people, our, our people in here. So that was, you know, anything we can do to return the favour, and I'm, I'm sure speaking for everybody, anything we can do, we're all going to be willing to, to help you out there. Um, I think we better let you get back to your, to your, to your father there, because uh, we, we booked you in for an hour, and you've given us an hour and a half. Well, look, okay. so. like I, I'll talk forever, I, I, especially what I love doing. If this is what I love. I, I, like I, when, you, when you talk to me about mountains, it freaking brings me back to the top of the world like when I'm talking. Like, I, I can feel it. I can, like I've been yeah. there. So when it happens, it gives me the opportunity to be back up there again. Yes. So thank, thank you for listening. And I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best. And like, as we say in Nepal, right, okay, and like I've been doing mantras like the Omani Paddy Hum, like they basically bring people into an alpha state to get their beats and bottom, like brainwaves actually firing because it, it, it's all about actually breathing and relaxing. Like you are, you are brilliant. You are a fucking mountain. You are as strong as that mountain, like the winds and the storms that come up, like, you stand there with your ground seated, right, okay, and you don't be blown over. So on that yes. note, I, as I would say, namaste. Namaste. Thank you very oh, much, Pat. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. So, folks, that concludes another episode of the Tradesman Survival Guide podcast. Don't forget that all of the tactics and strategies discussed in today's podcast are from my book, The Tradesman Survival Guide, which is available to buy online at www.joedoyle.ie forward slash TSG. TSG being, of course, short for The Tradesman Survival Guide.